You are now tuned in to Believe. Do you believe? There's Grandpa. Because um, he was my rock, right? And Grandpa used to say, and it was a favorite, one of my favorite sayings, Grandpa always said to me when I was a little kid, he's like, if you get rid of a friend, it doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means you love yourself some more. podcast about sobriety and mental health where we promote stories <laughs> that give us uh hope and love you can find us on all podcast platforms and at youtube.com slash untapped keg if you would like to see the video we record every sunday and we get the podcast out every sunday um usually we have a video that's edited that goes up on wednesdays I am one of your hosts, RJ Zimmerman, and I have the honor and privilege to be doing today's show, episode 105, and I want to spotlight this episode because it can go down in history as one of our best, all because of this guy right here, Big Kev from Laugh for a Purpose podcast. How are you doing, guy? I am well. Are you serious? It's episode 105? It is episode 105. You were my guest on my 105th show. At the front door. No, no, I'm like I was talking out when you said that. Yeah, you're my 105th guest. I because I made that. I made the poster for uh, Jack Benjamin, um, a gentleman we're having our new show, and I made the poster today, and it's 106. And so, okay, yeah, we're exact. We're like at exactly the same episode. <laughs> same episode. Yep. <laughs> Wow, what a coincidence. That's a, wow, that was so weird. That is, that is so... <laughs> that's fun. Hey, you know what? It's the podcast crossover of the year. Untapped Canadian Laugh for a Purpose. Of course we're both going to be at 105 for that. Right, and, and I was thinking about it when, when we said the, uh, you know, the crossover, and I thought, for sobriety, it really wouldn't work if I said keg for a purpose. Yeah. So yeah. I just kind of figured that one wouldn't work. So <laughs> <laughs> it's untapped for a purpose week. There you go. <laughs> That's what we're doing. So and, and the honor is mine, my friend. Like I absolutely love what you guys have done, how, how this has taken off, um, you know, and, and I think you and I have a lot in common, you know, when it comes to the passion, why we do it and what we want to become of it. Um, it's not about if we have 500 viewers or just one, it's just about putting it out there. So maybe we can help one person. So, um, the honor is all mine, my friend. I appreciate that. And that is the truth. That is where I find my joy is when, and I know you've said the same thing. It's when you hear from a listener that I'm going through the same thing right now. And you talked about it and you're helping me get through that because I know I'm not alone. Like, that actually does happen. That's not something that we say. And nope. like the 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 amount of fire that that burns inside of us to just try to get it out there even more because it's um 
we just don't know what we're going through and we don't know who's also going through and experiencing similar uh, challenges right now. And, you know, what you do over there on your podcast, Laugh for a Purpose, like, you, I think that you take, because we talk about mental health, but where we talk about mental health is mainly focused around sobriety and right. some other challenges there too. But like the way that you take it and you really dive deep and the guests that you have on that are just absolutely vulnerable, yourself being vulnerable, like, um, I mean, it's just, it is incredible. It inspires me. And I, I catch as many of your shows as I can. And, um, it, I'm always coming away, like feeling better after I listen to it because you, of what you touch on. So I appreciate that. It's just, you know, it's a passion to just give people confidence. You know, we, we decided this year that not only do we want to focus a little bit on military because 2022 and 22 a day, but I really wanted to focus on just getting everyday people to tell their stories. You know, I, I've got a, I've got a pocket change of people I could get to would bring big names, right? I, you know, we've had a lot of celebrities on the show. We've had some pro athletes, authors, everybody. But this year I wanted to give it for people to tell their story. Yeah. And literally right before we started, I got a uh, Twitter message from a young lady who I told her with everything going on in her life, she needed to tell her story, um, not only for her, but for the benefit of somebody else that's going through it. And just like with everything, we can listen to professionals talk all day and, you know, we'll get out what we want to get out. But when you hear somebody going through your exact same problem, mm-hmm. it means something. So I told her and she's like, I don't know. I'll have to think about it. And that was like four days ago. And she sent me this message that said she's been thinking about it and she thinks it will, you know, inspire her to get more help and it would inspire others to hear her story. And I was like, all right, when do you want to do it? Um, so that's kind of, you know, where I am and it's different than a lot of people are doing, but it wasn't until I found you guys that I realized, and I had Matt Morgan, um, you know, he's from WWE pro wrestler, everything. I had him come on the show and talk about sobriety. Um, because one, I was, he was like one of my idols and, and two, the way he talks about it was amazing. And, but it wasn't until the show that's going to be on next week for us where I really understood how much sobriety and mental health go together, you know, and with mental health, we're trying to fight a stigma and with sobriety, I believe you are too, because the whole thing is when it comes to addiction, you always have that person who's going to say, it's not an illness. They made the choice. And, and that stigma is just something that we've got to fight through. And, And I think having a podcast like yours and like mine is doing that for people. Um, I love what you're doing though, because you guys also brought sports into it and I'm a sport fanatic. <laughs> so, um, you know, but it really is, it's just something that we have to keep doing. Um, and you know, until we, you know, and it's not about the numbers, you know, it's not about Joe Rogan numbers. I, I would love those obviously, cause it would touch more people. Um, but when you have a podcast centered around a very certain topic of sobriety or mental health, um, it's not about the numbers. If your numbers are low, that means those people who are in there needed what you were saying. 
You know, I can get 10,000 people who want to hear my voice and just want to say, oh, I listen to Laugh for a Purpose podcast. I got a chance to win a shirt or he sent me a basket, whatever. That's great. But I would rather just that one or two people listening who said, I need to hear what he's talking about. So um, the one thing I will do is I very rarely look at numbers. The only time I look at numbers is when I upload the next podcast through my website. It gives me a little tracker. Yeah. Uh, and that's just because I can't avoid it. But other than that, I, I, I don't know. I do the podcast because I love it. You know, that's, um, that's exactly what I do too. I don't look at it until we go to upload. Um, I see the YouTube numbers cause anytime I go into it, they're there. Right. But, um, it really is. You're right about fighting the stigma from both sides. Um, mm-hmm. when we started the podcast, neither months or I realized that uh, how intricately our society and our mental health were tied. I think, I think it's something that we know deep down, but it's not something that we associate. Um, and when you talk about, you know, having low self-worth, when you talk about, um, like ADHD, like I also, um, you know, other challenges that I've faced with myself from a mental health standpoint, you really get into the root of why did I try to escape through a liquor bottle and or beer cans or, you know, whatever my choice was at the time. And then when you look at my life after I gave it up, you look at me throwing myself into work, you look at me throwing myself into video games, you look at me throwing myself into uh, some sports like into being a dad like i was trying to escape life again Mm -hmm. through these other activities it was doing the same thing it was just it was also healthier like from a a totality standpoint right when i was drunk i had no control over what i was doing and i had no memory not that i always have a great memory when i'm in autopilot mode and i'm just working coming home, feeding the kids, putting them to bed, going to sleep. And like, that's all I'm doing. I don't always have a great memory through that, but, um, it's just like, that was the cycle that I was in before I really started to talk about things and taking a look and a stock. And it's like, I have some more work to do. Right. It's not done here. (laughs) And, and, And here's the thing that, and maybe I'm far off base on this, but here, here's my mind and how I see addiction. Yeah. And, and I take a lot of time. Every time I have a guest, um, I never research the guests. I don't research their issue. I don't, I don't want to do any of that because I want the conversation to be pure. Right. Mm-hmm. But after it, I kind of think about it and, and thinking about addiction a lot lately with having you on there and then having Jack coming on there. Um, the way I see it is, it, it, here's the stigma I put on mental health. So the mental health stigma I call the gas station stigma, which means if you have a pot at a gas station that says little Johnny broke his leg or Timmy lost his dog in a fire, donate money. People throw money left and right. We want to help the kid with cancer. We want to help the kid who lost a fire. But if you put it on there, I can't afford to get my son a psychiatrist. No one's going to donate. Right. They're just not going to do it. So that's my stigma. Now, the stigma with addiction is where I'm maybe off base with the way I feel it is. If somebody has addiction to gambling, they see a mental health professional. Mm -hmm. 
If somebody has an addiction to food, they see a mental health professional. Addiction isn't different from food and gambling as it is alcohol and drugs. It's an addiction that you are trying to find a coping skill to cope with your shit and your problems. So I use something that's very bad. I use heroin. I use alcohol. I use this to cope with my issues. Mental health's main job is to teach us how to cope with our day-to-day skills. So for people who tell me that addiction's a choice and they made a choice to do this and that and say it's not a mental health issue, prove me wrong because it's an addiction. So you can't tell me that one addiction's okay to treat with mental health professional, but another one's not. So yeah. that, that's how they really tie in together. And I've started, uh, so I've started to like change my language around uh, addiction and mental health. So like I've started to say I have a toxic coping mechanism because it's a coping skill that's okay, but it becomes toxic when it is negative to my life. Same with work, same with the video games, right? Same with anything I'm using to escape when it gets to a point where it's negatively impacting my life, that's a toxic coping mechanism. And that's what really addiction boils down to, right? And then, yes, it becomes, it, it. you don't think about it, and then it becomes that problem. And because we're using mind-altering, because that's what they are, mind-altering substances, you aren't in the, in a, you're already in a poor headspace, but now you're adding like a biological, um, it feels like a need for something. This is the only thing that's going to let me feel like I could possibly be happy. That right. could turn off my brain so I don't have to think anymore. Because all these, all everything in my mind is going 10 miles an hour. I mean, 10. <laughs> right. and, and you're right, though. Your, your first thing you said was the probably the most important. And I think that's what's really important for our platform is the language that we speak about these things. Right. So like I, I try to teach people don't say commit suicide, you know, um, because you don't commit cancer. You don't commit bad things. You don't commit an illness. You know, suicide's an illness and, and again, a bad coping skill. But you die by people die by suicide. They don't commit suicide. So just little things. Language is so, so important, Um, you know, because when we're talking about these things and we talk about them in the wrong sense or use the wrong language, um, it, it doesn't paint the great picture. And, and that's why I think for years it's been, I mean, if you just look about how the world's done, we all get our information on from television. Like that's just who we are. Right. Like I think every firefighter is, you know, Chicago fire, like (laughs) every single firefighter is Kelly Severi for me. Right. Right, exactly. <laughs> like Kelly good. I, I want to have a fire to have Kelly Severi carry me out. Right. So, like, when we look even back years ago, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Let's let, let's look at all the movies where they had people with mental health. They made them all straight jacket, you know. And when it comes to alcohol, look at the people who look at the way they show an AA meeting and they show recovery and they show, you know, um, every alcoholic looks like this. And it's just we need to have the real world 
seen right and even the reality tv is not real right like don't i don't want to watch these shows you know intervention um because the intervention stories are true but you highlighted what you wanted to highlight you know and they're not seeing it because there are some people who are addicted to really bad things who you would never know because they don't look like it you know mental health doesn't have a look you don't know somebody and i, and I don't think addiction has a look either no, you know? I mean, look at the opioid ep epidemic right now, right? I mean, we call it an yeah. epidemic, but it's an overprescription of opioids, which we know is highly addictive. And then it's crossing over into heroin. And then, but, you know, the way that we talk about it too, like there's, there's so much, um, I'm the, there's so much racial divide in how we talk about subjects. So we call it an opioid epidemic. Who does it affect middle-class white people all at a heroin crisis or like the war on drugs to get the heroin and everything out why is that who does it affect or people yeah. of color generally and that's where the words really do matter so like also with like mental health i've tried to step away from saying illness and like problems and things when it comes to mental health and i've started to try to substitute the word challenges because yes it's an illness right yes like we need professionals medically trained who can help but when you say illness people automatically go to like you're broken like um that there's something wrong with you that and you can't see it right but like right. just because i'm an alcoholic doesn't mean that i'm broken inside it doesn't mean there's something wrong with me it just means that my relationship with alcohol is unhealthy yeah and that's like when when you're talking about like severe depression and like that's where it gets that's where it gets very uh difficult using the word challenge because now you're making it seem like they're making a choice to not do something like you have to get over it. But at the same time, like if you say mental illness and you say, I do, I suffer from depression sometimes like people hear mental illness. It's, Oh, you're out walking around. That's not, you're not sick. Right. So that's kind of why I tried to, but I also completely and totally understand why, like we still need those words as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think other than language, the talking about it, what's most important is we, as people who are putting ourselves out there talking to try to give information to other people, we have a job to not to talk so much to the people who are dealing with our struggles. Like I, I love when people reach out, but what I really want to make sure that I'm doing is talking to the people who don't have the struggles and informing them on how to talk to the people who have the struggles. Right. So, you know, for, for you and for the untapped cake podcast, for, you know, somebody whose child is an alcoholic and they can't reach them. You know, um, maybe maybe what your words say are not going to help that child It's not going to help the alcoholic himself because he doesn't want help right now. But you could help the mom and dad. And that's what's really important for me, because one of the tipping scales for me to stand on that bridge 
and ready to end it. And one of the tipping scales for me to send off the emails to everybody of my suicide note and try it 14 different times was when I would talk to who I thought was a friend, it wasn't, how can I help you? You know, it was, how, how are you depressed? Like you, your wife loves you. You got three kids, you know, um, you got this, your mom and dad are there. If you need them, you know, like, why, why are you depressed? I just don't get it. But if I told you that I had cancer and the doctor gave me three months to live, you're not going to be like, ah, oh, no, you're healthy. You can eat fruits and vegetables. You'll be fine. It's what can I do for you? And that's what I need for mental health as well. Right. So it's an incurable disease for me, I feel. And, and at that point when I'm coming to you and for you to tell me all the reasons I shouldn't feel like that, it makes it worse. Yeah. So we have a job not only to be there for the people who are struggling with the same issues we're struggling or the same issues we're having that topic about, but we always have to keep in the back of the mind. We also need to also give these little caveats to all the people who don't understand it and need to know how to talk to somebody else. Cause if somebody would have told my friends or my family years ago, you know, when Kevin comes to you and he's crying and he says he wants to take his life and he just says he can't do it anymore. All he wants you to do is just to say, what can I do for you? Or how can I be there for you? If that would have been said to me many times, I wouldn't have been in the situations I put myself in, but they didn't have people, you know, my age, my parents look at mental health as you don't need mental health. Suck it up. Right. You know, I come from the era you break your arm, suck it up and walk it off. Everything was just walk it off. And There's mental health was there. Why don't you grab a little bit and rub it on it? You're good. Yeah, exactly. And mental health was you're wanting attention or quit crying. Be a man. You know, I, I was told for like so many years, be a man. So, you know, what's a man? You know, and, and I wasn't allowed to cry and I had to do this and I had to do that. Be a man, suck it up. So there's people out there and including the people that I know friends and family still who need to hear what they need to do because it's a team. You can't get over addiction and you can't get through a mental crisis without a team. You can't do it alone. I I'm listen. I know somebody's going to be like, I got through it by myself. No, you just didn't realize that you had a team, you know, Whether your team was doctors or if you went to a rehab, that was a team. Or whether the team was that person at the gas station every day that you went in and grabbed a cup of coffee and talked to them just so you didn't have that craving. That's your team. You may not be aware of who your team is, but everybody has to have a team to get through it. And if you and I aren't doing our due diligence and talking to the whole team and not just uh, the person themselves, then it's no use for us to even have a podcast. I'm really glad that you brought that up um, with communication. So obviously you and I are really comfortable talking to one another. So (laughs) (laughs) we can go about a lot of stuff. And um, that's why I like to be uh, flexible. And like, that's how we run both of our shows is it's conversation. I wanted to talk about the communication and how it's so important in relationships um, especially being open and being vulnerable, which is so hard, right? Because you and I are very like similar with the be a man, don't cry, don't feel. Are you angry? Good, you should be. 
that's all you get to feel. You don't even get to be happy to a point because if you're too happy, you're arrogant. You can't be arrogant. Right. So that is like, that's where we came from. So when it came to honestly, anything connecting with people, accepting love, like don't understand it. It's foreign, right? Like there's just, it took a, takes a lot of work to just accept that something that seems so trivial that you should get takes a lot of work. Yeah. So for those who don't know, you know, you, you just said it, but you suffer from depression. What were the steps to get the communication between you and your family, allowing you to be open and vulnerable and it was a lot of steps like just a tremendous amount and many of them i didn't even know i was taking you know i I joke around now and say i have more titles than john cena um you know depression uh bipolar borderline personality disorder ptsd suicide ideation general anxiety so like you know i've got all these titles that make up who i am and because of how I grew up, just like you were talking about, you didn't get to do that. And that wasn't just my dad. That was my mom too. Right. You know, um, anxiety was so bad. I would throw myself down, kick in the gravel and mom would just scream at me, get up, you know? Um, but honestly, I didn't take steps until it was forced on me. I did end up in a mental hospital numerous times, but I learned how to get out of there too. Right. So I, I learned the very first time I went in, they gave me trazodone. Um, I fell asleep instantly because I'm not good with pills. And when the doctor or nurse came in to check on me, he was sleep. I was sleeping and I still, but you know how when you're asleep, you can still hear people talking. Yep. I heard the doctor say, we're going to let him sleep. You know, a lot of times people get in these moods just because their lack of sleep so when i got up the next day i still wanted to take my own life but i told the nurse like man i'm feeling so much better it was like i haven't slept in years and they let me go right so i wasn't taking steps i was taking steps to avoid killing myself and then my last time i went into the last time i ever was in one to be a patient i've been back to visit but um it was because of my wife. And, and, and when I say this, there may be people listening and be like, man, that was your wife's rude. But um, a cop pulled me off the bridge in the nick of time, like literally in the nick of time. And we went to the hospital and the nurse knew me because I was a frequent flyer. And she made me call him Amanda. And I didn't want to call Amanda um, because you just don't you know, the wife doesn't understand it. And I thought she would blame herself and I didn't want to put her through it. So when I got her on the phone, she said, me and the kids are packing up and going to my mom's. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear from you until you let this work for yourself. I love you. I don't want to keep you from your kids, but my job as a mother is to protect my kids. And until you get help, I'm leaving. And then at first it was fear. Like I'm losing my life, my kids. And you know, my kids are everything to me. And I was losing the one person who stood by me through 13 previous suicide attempts. Like I couldn't handle losing this. And that day I took the step into one of their group sessions. 
Um, and I thought it was so stupid because we were making art, right? It was like an art class. And they had this little tiny wooden jewelry box. And I made it for my wife. And it one you would buy for a kid or like, I don't know if people know Home Depot or Lowe's, but they have those Sunday kids corners where the kids can come in and build something. So it's literally juvenile. But during that, making that, I just had my mind on that. And I was talking to the art therapist and I left and I realized I want to give this to my wife, but I don't want to do this for my wife. I need to do this for me, you know, because what if my wife decides that she's not going to deal with it when I get out of here, I'm just going to keep coming back here. Um, So that was the step I took. I said to that day, I need to do this for me. And it was this little jewelry box, which is in my living room. I make sure it stays there. Not to brag that I made a a kid's jewelry box and, and not to brag that, you know, look what I made for my wife, but just to remind me, the jewelry box is everything to me. Like people don't understand it, but um, making that jewelry box was my first step and I had to embrace it. And I started watching the people in the facility and they were frequent flyers as well. Right. You get to know people. And I realized when I was watching them, they weren't doing anything. They weren't going to these group sessions because they said the same thing I did. It looks stupid. It's making art coloring in books. I could reach right here and grab 10 coloring books and I still do, you know? Um, So I started engaging into every single class they had. And I realized that the classes were just, they just kind of kept my mind at ease, but it was more about the conversations you were having in there. Yeah. Um, And I, I don't know. I, there was numerous times the doctor said, I can sign off and you can go home. And I said, no, I'm not ready yet. Like I'm not ready yet. And I literally stayed there until I was ready. Um, so I had a team. I had the general manager, which was my wife who basically said, you're fired if you don't get back on the team. Right. So I had to join that team. I had the cheerleaders, the people in my corner, which were my three kids. We want our dad back, you know? And then I had the fans booing, which was my mom, my dad, my brother, my, my blood family were booing me, which were giving me that more incentive to do better, just like a team. And then I had the coaches and the teammates who was the nurses and the doctors. And then I had the opposing team, which was my brain. It was my mind who was trying to defeat me. And I literally saw it like that after that day. And I said, all right, game on. This is a game, you know. And I played my steps like I still do today, like I was playing a game of basketball. I relayed everything to basketball because that was my love, you know. And um, me and my GM are going to fight. Me and my wife are going to fight, right? Um, but it boils down to I, I always want to be a part of this team, her team, you know. Um, my kids, uh, if you want lifetime cheerleaders, I got to make sure my kids are always cheering for me and not disappointed in me because I need good cheerleaders, you know. And I've got to make sure I can't win a game by myself, so I got to make sure I have those teammates. And just like in basketball, you get different teammates. So now I don't have, you know, the nurses and the doctors at the facility. But I got my psychiatrist. I got my counselor. I've got you. I've got, you know, my, my core group of friends through Twitter. I've got people who support Laugh for a Purpose. That's my team. The only thing that doesn't change and it will never change is who I play. 
because there ain't nobody making me have issues. There's nobody making you pick up that bottle, right? So the opposing team is always going to be ourselves. So that's how I look at it, and that's how I make my steps. I really, I really like how you relayed that because you know it takes some really high level information there, and you can relate it to just about anything. I mean, you did basketball, but you take everything that you broke down and you could put it not just into any sport, but run a store. You could put it to it like it's running a store. If you're, you know, whatever you do, you could really take that information. Um, I, one thing I want to ask coming out of that, because your story sounds very similar. Obviously there's different differences. You had to make the decision for yourself. Like people would always walk you there, but you weren't doing it. Mm-hmm. When I made the decision to quit drinking, looking back on it, it was the first decision that I really made for myself. That's why it stuck that time because I made it for myself. Like that was it. I needed to be the best RJ I can. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that was the first time you made a decision for yourself? Absolutely. Yes. A- absolutely. So growing up, I had an older brother. And he, him and I still to the day don't get along. When he got into that age of playing sports and everything. Now, remember, he's my older brother. But he was always known as Kevin's brother. Right? Because here I was in fifth grade good enough to play on the high school teams. And he was a freshman in high school, not even making JV, just being on that freshman team on the bench. So he didn't like that. So I always had to try to please my brother because he didn't like me. And then when it got into high school, when I was playing sports, I never got to play for me. I played for my dad, apparently. Um, I don't ever remember making decisions for me. And it's, so funny and i and i i was praying that my whole life the interviews i've done no one would ever talk about this because it's such a dumb reason i made this step for me like it's like what my mind said um how old's your how old's your kids they're two and four girls boys remind me boys both the boys so you don't have to deal with this but i have my oldest daughter um is about 20 getting ready to make me a grandpa in six months, seven months. She was my go-to growing up, right? She was a daddy's girl more than ever. And I remember one of the hardest days of my life was her saying she has to go to the bathroom, holding her hand in a Walgreens, and her saying, can I go with mommy now? sounds so dumb but she didn't want to go to the boy she didn't want to go to the boys bathroom anymore and it broke me i cried like i it's so i feel so dumb but i cried but when i was in the hospital (laughs) i was thinking about her because my biggest regret in life is i called her before i tried to jump off that bridge and said hey amelia um Mom's not checking her email. Can you tell her to check her email? And the email was a suicide letter. 
And of course, if you tell anybody, hey, tell somebody to check their email, that person's going to want to know what that email is about, right? So at this time, I'm putting my daughter, who's not even a teenager yet, in the middle of my suicide. And I regret that. And I was just thinking about her and about how much that hurt her. And I was just thinking about her. She was my oldest. And she's seen it all. And I remembered that step. And I remember her watching me cry. And no little girl who, I mean, she thought I hung the moon, right? And she knew she made me cry. She knew something she said hurt me. But she still wanted to go to the girl's bathroom. And I remember her coming out with like just happy and gave dad a hug. And it was still daddy's little girl, but she did it. And for some, it's just something that sticks with me. And I thought at three years old, she's strong enough to make that decision. She's strong enough to hurt her favorite person in the world because she wants to do what she wants to do. Why am I so scared to be that? Why am I so scared to go to the bathroom by myself at this point is what I kept telling myself. And, and that's, that's it. That's exactly what made me take the step. That is exactly what made me do it. And just thinking of her, how, how stupid that is, that little Walgreens incident where she wanted to go to the bathroom with mom, um, kind of just showed me that, you know, she was brave. Um, and I knew I was going to hurt a lot of people and I lost every friend I had, every friend I had because I got help. Um, they didn't want to deal with me anymore because they didn't want, they didn't know who I was. They were worried. I don't want to go out with Kevin. I don't want to go to bar with Kevin, or I don't want to go shoot hoops with Kevin because two days later, he may take his own life and every person abandoned me. Um, so I knew that, you know, it was going to be a rough road and I was going to lose a lot of other people because the people who were toxic, I had to cut out of my life. Um, but if she can go to the bathroom without her dad, then I can get better. Great analogy, I know. <laughs> no, it's what it does is it highlights how little moments in our lives that other people um they stick with us. Mm-hmm. We don't know what those moments are for other people. Um I mean just everybody has a moment that they're like, you're not gonna understand this, but like this one time, like, so that, that's kind of what I told myself. I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. It, it honestly doesn't, as long as it gets you to take those steps. Because that's an amazing picture that was uh, somebody posted about, I think, starting their own, uh, changing their career paths. And it was the first step, which was, you know, the same height as what they are as a person. And then the rest are regular steps. That first step is the hardest. Yeah. It relates so much to mental health and sobriety. Oh yeah. Because we don't want to focus on ourselves. The moment we focus on ourselves, the moment we realize that how much work we have, mm-hmm. how twisted things are. That it's easier, and this is society as a whole, it's easier to put it all on the outside yeah over top that's just that's what we learn through osmosis with what culture kind of does um but when you start looking inside a lot of work and yeah. I mean, 
As I said, I went from alcohol to work. Anything to keep it all on the outside. But when I started working on my, ins- my inside, that was when I finally started to feel the positivity and the positive. Yeah. Yeah. But it's a continuous thing. You can't quit working, you know? There's no retirement in sobriety. There's no retirement in mental health, right? We, we don't have a 401k, um, but it's it's every day, you know, and and you got to keep those reasons that you did it in the first place in your mind, you know. Here I am thinking about my daughter taking the step to go to the bathroom on her own and how much it changed my life and. This time next year, I'm going to be walking my granddaughter or grandson to the bathroom, you know, and I need to be there for them. And I need to be, they aren't going to learn the struggles that my daughter went through because I'm going to be, I don't want them to have to, you know? Um, so it's, it's a little, it's a continuous job and, you know, I don't want to say people can't get cured from mental health. I don't want to say people can be sober and never have a craving again. I, I don't want to believe that it's not possible for someone to be healed, as you say. Um, but I'm not looking to be healed, right? That's not me. I am not looking to be fixed. I am just le- looking to know how to cope with the worst possible and enjoy the good times, you know? So I'm not looking to get healed from all this. Um, would I love to not have to grab my pills every day and take six pills a day? Of course. I don't like taking pills. You know, would I love to wake up and not hate myself? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, but I'm proud of myself because I still do that, but I know how to do it now, right? When I wake up in the morning and I just look around and, you know, it could just be, wow, I hate living here. I wish I had a bigger house, right? Or, oh my goodness, I got to go to work, you know? I, I struggle. I struggle daily. I have a job where I basically I'm a telemarketer, right? So I do tech support for phones for the elderly. The company I work for contracts it. So I work for a telemarketing company. I'm 43 years old and I work with people who are 17 (laughs) next to me, but I've been doing this for 26 years on and off. So I get paid really well. Um, So I get paid really well to sit on my butt and take phone calls. And I like what I do, but I struggle daily when I get up in the morning, like, Oh my goodness, I'm going to have a grandchild. They don't want to tell people their grandpa's a telemarketer. They're not going to want me to come to career day. You know what I mean? Like that, that's the struggle. I still internalize every day, but through learning how to cope, I still get up. I still do what I got to do. Um, so, so yeah, I, if you were talking about steps and I know there's a, is it 12 step program, right? For most alcohol, 12 steps ain't enough, man. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a lifetime escalator. That's, you know, the saying in sobriety circles is one day at a time Mm -hmm. because that's really what it is. It doesn't matter if you have eight years like me or you have a month. Everybody was at a month. Maybe not everybody will make eight years, but if we make it through that one day, 
start it over again. We just make it that one day. Then we'll add up. And um, I think that that's, there's a lot you said there that I'd love to unpack. Um, (laughs) You know, society really did a number on us and how we we feel like we have to uh, have pride in what we do. It can't be what we enjoy doing. Yeah. Um, and it's not it's not necessarily we have to have pride in what we do, but that we define ourselves by what we do. Right? <laughs> and that's what that's what defines us. But really most important thing is um like you said, learning to cope. Learning to be yeah. a friend to yourself. Mm-hmm. And and talking about it is the biggest help that we all could do. You know, um, when you don't talk about it, your sobriety and your mental health turns into a fart. Let me explain what I mean by that. I know that sounds <laughs> that I know, but the worst thing you can do is have your mental health or your sobriety be a fart. And what I mean by that is you hold it in when you're out in public. So when you come home, the family has to deal with the stink. That's why it's important you keep doing what you're doing and I keep doing what I'm doing because we had to talk about it. You know, if we hold all this in and we have others and we don't give others a platform to be able to talk about it, then it's destroying families all around the world because they're holding it in and they're coming home and it stinks. And I use that to talk to people. You know, it's such a funny, lighthearted way to describe my mental health. Um, but, but I use that to talk to people and, and that's really what society, you're exactly right. Society did that to us. They, they told us we had to hold it in, you know? So I wanted to kill myself for 12 hours a day and I couldn't tell my boss, my family, my friends. So I came home and maybe the dishes weren't done. And I don't worry about my wife's mental health. I just yell at her because I've been holding this shit in all day. So I just scream at her because she didn't do the dishes. The kids come out, dad, I got a C on the homework. And I went off on them. Well, I didn't you study higher. Dad, can I play and finish my homework later? No, you can't. And all of a sudden I'm taking everything out on them. Why? Because I had to release it at some point or I was going to die. Can't hold a fart in forever. You'll die. Like that's exactly how I look at it. And because society taught me I wasn't allowed to talk about it for my first 40 years. Well, we'll say 37 years of my life. I ruined a whole lot of things. I don't speak to my dad at all. I will never speak to him. Not saying it's all my fault. You know, my brother and I, zero relationship. Friends that... I thought were friends that I tried to hold on to. I realize now we're bullies and they destroyed a lot of me. And then the ones who were friends, I pushed them away too. All because society taught me to hold this stuff in and not talk about it. And it blew up the wrong way. I mean, that's such a relatable story because we did to both men and women mm-hmm. sure women can be emotional to a point and we're not allowed to show emotions unless it's anger so we don't think we're doing wrong that's the people who are brave enough to other emotions you know one of them 
Call them names. It's absolutely disrespectful. I had nothing to do with who they are as a person. And and honestly, it didn't it didn't affect us at all, other than they're putting mirrors up to us and we're like, I don't like that because I have to look at it and now I feel like that's myself. Like that's really what we're doing. And you know, we we like to warn people when you go sober, when you make that decision. And it's a very big decision to make. Um, you're going to lose friends. Because they weren't friends. They were drinking buddies. And it's the same with mental health. You start to heal. When you start to grow and become a better you, there's going to be people, and it's it for real is people you wish were your biggest cheerleaders who are not going to like that because they like it when you needed them for that purpose they like they don't like that you're holding a mirror up to them while they're growing like i don't like that they're a better person they're supposed to be down here so that i can hold myself up higher like that's that's real that's that really does happen and that's it could be anybody literally anybody in your life and it's so, I mean, I don't know if you believe in like signs or ghosts or spirits or anything like that, but um, every once in a while I get a hint of like cigarette smell or cigar, like somebody smoking and no one in my house smokes. We don't really have neighbors close enough. So mm-hmm. every time I smell that, I'm like, there's grandpa. Um, Cause he was my rock. Right. And grandpa used to say, and it was a favorite, one of my favorite sayings, grandpa always said to me when I was a little kid, he's like, if you get rid of a friend, it doesn't mean you don't love them. It just means you love yourself some more. And I always took that. Like grandpa always had these wise words, right? That was my grandpa, you know? And and I never really understood until this journey what he meant. You know, I got rid of friends in my life. I still love those friends. I do. I, I love them. I've been to funerals of friends that I pushed away. And I want the best for them. So I didn't hate them because I got rid of them. I love myself. And that's what he always said. You get rid of friends. It's not because you hate them. It's because you love yourself. And it was just such the right words now, you know, you know, grandpa say things and you're just like, shut up and give me some ice cream, you know, <laughs> but, but then when you're We're gone, you, yet, old man. right. <laughs> but when they're gone, you hear them. You know, you hear those words and you were talking about, you know, the people you lost and stuff, but you didn't lose them because you didn't like them anymore. You you just knew that you loved yourself finally, you know, and it's a hard thing to say for a man, especially I love myself. It's 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 a tough thing to say. Um, I cry at movies. I cry at American Idol. I cry at everything. I'm a crier. And a lot of it's because I held it in for years because you know, you, you did that stuff. I'm of the era where the derogatory words to me um, were you're gay or, you know, with like better terms, you know, growing up when I showed emotions, I'll quit being the queer. You know, that was just the era I'm from. And you didn't want to be that person. You, you know, when you're in high school and you play sports, you think you don't have, and, and, and if you're listening to this and you're young, you don't have an image to uphold. You think you have an image to uphold um, because 
that image that you're trying to uphold, if it's not really you, then it's not an image, right? Like it's Photoshopped. Um, so that was the thing in high school, but that's the time we lived in, you know, I'm a basketball player. I play football. I, you know, I want to have the girlfriend. I don't want people calling me a sissy or a queer because I cry, you know, and, uh, I, I hope, that the new generation, the kids that we're raising and the grandkids that we're going to raise, I hope we let them know it's okay to cry and we don't pass that down. But unfortunately, people our age are still passing that down to their kids. And then those kids are going to pass it down to their kids. So until we can break that stigma and break that cycle, there is still going to be two people 35 years from now talking just like you and I are about the shit they went through. And and I don't, you know, with that it's our job to try to stop that. It's definitely. And, you know, being a parent, it really highlights our flaws, right? We see. <laughs> and yes. that is, we don't just see them like they're full blast in our face. There's <laughs> no hiding from our flaws right there. It really, it really opens your eyes to how much you really do have an effect and kind of makes you think back on when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. Um, No, it's at one point, my kid used to say, daddy, you're mean to me. Daddy, you're mean. And one time, like that would hurt me. That would hurt my soul because I'm not being mean. I'm telling you to put your shoes on. That's not mean. And one time I I was just, I don't know, I was frustrated, probably time something. I said, you don't know what mean is. I'll show you mean. You mean. (laughs) And, you know, Ashley was like, hey, why are you saying that to a three-year-old? And I'm like, because he doesn't know. He doesn't understand. And she's like, exactly. He doesn't know. Right. And you're a little bit jealous of the childhood that you're giving him right now. And I had to stand back, just like I just that face that I made. You're right. It's those, it, it's those, it, those things that we are jealous. I, I've had times where, hey, Dad, you want to play a video game? No, I don't feel like it right now. You know, because I didn't. I was busy or something. There was a legitimate reason why I didn't play. And then the that kid would go to the bedroom disappointed. And I would be like, listen, like, I never had my dad play with me. Like, just be grateful I do play. You don't need to get upset that I'm not playing right now. Like, that's that's some of the things that I've done wrong. You know, you really want to punch in the face. Um, I came home numerous times. This isn't a one-time thing. And my own wife, who I love my wife dearly. We have been together 20 years, um, over 20 years. She said to me, sometimes I wish you would treat me like you treat your employees. That hurts. <laughs> yeah. That hurts. Yeah. You know? And again, why? Because I didn't treat my employees great because I was holding my real shit in, you know? I was just masking. I was faking it. And and since then, you know, I'm I'm I took a step down for managing. I was I was a manager in our company. Um, but I took a step down to focus on family and to start the podcast. Um, I didn't I wanted to be able to, when I clock out to be able to clock out. 
And I, I took, I made that step, um, for my family and, but I still do a lot of managerial roles to help out. But I realize that I don't do it anymore where I treat my employees better, you know, than I treat my family. I don't hold it in anymore. Every one of my employees or every person who works in the company knows Kevin's got mental health issues and he is there to help others, but he's also there to talk about his and he needs support. You know, um, when you work with the elderly, like I do, they are mean. <laughs> Old people are mean. Like I get at least 20 calls a day that starts with cursing at me before I even say hello. I literally had someone who I thought was being nice. They were really mad at first. I calmed her down and then they said, how many kids do you have? And I said, I have three. Well, I hope they all die tonight. Like that's not, that's not unique. That's a call that I'll, I probably have death wished upon me 20 times a day just because somebody didn't pay their phone bill. Right. And every once in a while, it'll get to me. Yeah. And if I didn't talk about my mental health with my job, then they're not going to understand when that call gets to me and I say, I'm logging off for five minutes, right? I'm taking my, I'm taking my 10 minute break, but it's going to be 20 today. And because I was open and because I have that communication with my employer, they don't question me anymore. I don't have to ask for permission. I'm not better than anybody, but they understand, you know, because I'm a hard worker. So if at 1215 and my break's not until 1230, I went ahead and clocked out. They know he must have needed some time to breathe, you know. So, again, you know, we talk about communication. It's just not with your family and friends. It's you've got to have the communication with all outlets. If you're you've got to talk to your company and you can't be embarrassed to do it. You know, if I told my dad. I, if I told my dad, hey, I got a meeting tomorrow with HR, I got a little, we got a new HR director, so I'm going to meet with them to let them know about, you know, my struggles and everything like that. Um, he would be like, don't tell them. Don't tell them about your problems. Hide that. Don't Make them think. Right. Yes, Hide that from them. Exactly. Exactly. That's so in the chat. Um, up for the challenge, Adam, he says, you know, um, he told me this, uh, when I told him how I was, uh, really going through a cycle of trying to be better and, uh, do that. And he said, your light first, make sure you remember that light, why you're trying to get better. And I really appreciate that because it's true because eventually you're going to try to do better for like these these ones right yes and but you have to remember why you need to be the best you that's daddy's friend hi um and then you know adam says like the only image you should care about is the one to look back at you in years to come and yeah uh, that's that's something um that's, and then he says, you know, you are better than anybody. You are better than the version of you that didn't take that break. Strength that you garner is something you should use. That's something Some that wise words that other people should take into account. Take that break. Because when you get to that limit, it takes 6, 7, 10, 20 times longer to heal from it. 
you know, what, one thing we're going through right now is a society's burnout. Some of it is from the pandemic. Some of it's not. Some of it's from we have this mentality that we have to push. Push, 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 push. Those older generations, my dad, right? He, he worked hundreds of hours of overtime every year. Every single year. A thousand sometimes. I don't know if he's ever going to get out over that burnout. Like, yeah. I worked 600 hours of overtime one year. It took me an entire year to get back to my baseline that I knew I should be at energy-wise. Everything, like my irritation level, everything. I've, I've worked really hard my entire life on my anger because I knew it was a problem. It was destructive. It was very destructive. And it took a long time for me to get to a place where I wasn't very quick to snap. Because that was the only emotion I was allowed to have. So knowing that like I'm I'm irritating and I'm taking it like I tell my boss I'm not coming in on this storm. I'm not. Right. And he's like, Well, we're gonna miss you, but I understand, you know, you need the weekend, take the weekend. It's like when you put your foot down, or you're not even putting your foot down, you're actually just like throwing it out there to see what they'll say. Because if he would have said, We really need you, can you please come in? Yeah, I'll put my boots on. Right. But because he understood that I don't do that. So me saying that, like, yes, right? But really, taking stock of what's important, right? Yeah. And understanding that I need to be the best RJ for yeah. that I can help this one. Because he, he takes a lot of energy. I remember with, with my middle child, or my youngest child, um has such a severe anxiety when it comes to storms like we're talking we're even on meds but we so i mean it's bad it storms just terrify him and i remember taking a step and emailing every year start the year off i email the teachers you know because we do we do k-12 it's at home but they still have to log into class and it's very structured right but i email the teachers if Cody's not in class, look outside. If it's raining, I'm not, as a dad, going to make him go to class. He can watch the recording later, you know, because that anxiety is mental health. And I didn't have that, you know. If I would have ever told my dad, I'm staying home, it's supposed to storm today. It just been, it laughed. It would have been laughed at, right? You know, and, and stand outside in it. Now right? <laughs> Listen, I'm not kidding. My first laughing, but underage party, my first underage party, and this will show my age. Um, when dad found out that I was smoking and drinking that next day, I had to smoke a whole carton of cool cigarettes and drink a 12 pack of little Kings. <laughs> and Still to the day, I can't say the little things, but like, that's not funny cartoon stuff. Like we see on King of the Hill, that stuff was my dad. That was how I grew up. I did. I smoked a carton of cool and drank a thing of little Kings. And if anybody's had a little Kings, you know, that struggle. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I, so we're winding down here. Um, hey, it is. Yeah. So, 
Um, this episode has been start to finish, and I I love everything about this. Talking about communication, why it's important, not just at the family level, at honestly the your entire life level, and it's hard. Mm-hmm to be open and to be vulnerable it's hard nobody's saying it's easy but talking about it 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 doesn't just make more of an understanding right it is um allowing us to also process things that maybe we didn't think about at the time think about it deeper when you say things out loud you're like wait that makes more sense than I realized because of this. Right. I just had that happen to me today where I was talking about something and I was like, well, actually, now that I think about it, that is related to this, which also led to this. Like, yep. it's super, like a lot of those things, like talking about it really helps, you know? Well, and, we talk, I talked about how my step started where I looked at it as a basketball game, right? And when you're playing basketball, you have to yell to your teammates when you need the ball, when you want the ball, when you're open. Yep. You have to tell your coach when you can't play anymore, right? You have to tell your GM if you're wanting to trade. You know, you, you've got to communicate, and that's part of the whole recovery. And that's why communication is key. And that's, but honestly, I think that's why I over communicate with my kids. They're two and four, they don't understand. A quarter of the things that I tell them, but they have a baseline, and I'm just gonna try to keep doing that baseline. So, um, the Cosby had it right, my friend. <laughs> the Cosby Show had it right. You know, family meetings when they wanted to discuss important things, doing those stupid things like like I I look at the what the Cosby Show did and how you're like there's no family like that you know no right. family will get together and sing for an anniversary of the grandparents right no family has meetings but we do now like literally my family does we do stupid karaoke night just for the family we do these dumb things and you know we if there's something we need to discuss we turn the tvs off phones down and we have family meetings you know and it's like okay these are the rules this is what we have to do what do you agree we even have family members at our grocery stores now you know um and that's all of that is because communication and you know when you realize how important communication is for your sobriety for your mental health and you see how good it helps with that you start applying that to everything else communication with your boss communication with your kids communication with your wife communication with you know um up for the challenge in the chat you know it's all about communication this person is in the chat is giving time that they'll never get back to listen to what I'm saying and listen to what you're saying. If I ignore them the whole time, don't care what their comments say, you know, just make them look like they're, I'm just trying to get them a number. They need to stay in chat. Don't say anything. Just be in chat. So I look good. Then why would that person ever want to come back? Right. Everything we do in life, communication is key. And the biggest thing in communication, and I'll leave it like this, because I know we're a little over time, but the biggest thing about communication to me isn't the talking it's the listening you got to make sure you're listening not for your chance to speak but to actually hear what that other person's saying 
too many times people just listen for that chance to speak and they're planning on what they're saying before they say it. And, and you've got to be a good listener to be able to do communicate. That's um, sometimes when I'm taking my pauses, that's why, because that's something I've learned during the podcast where at the start of the podcast, I was listening to respond because I thought that's what we needed to do. But I've learned that I need to listen and take it in and then go. So it's something that's kind of become a little cliche, but it's true. And that's the thing about cliches sometimes, actually most of the time, right? Is there's a lot of truth to them. You you talked about your pause and I had to laugh because I do it too. And my wife was cracking up laughing after we did our interview. Because when I went to edit, this is no joke, right? There was a total. (laughs) There was a total of seven minutes and 12 seconds worth of dead air between me and you. I I was just, I was like, this is an hour and seven minute show. Oh, no, it's not. It's a 59-minute show. (laughs) I was wondering, because I knew how long we recorded for. (laughs) So I look at it, and I'm like, I swear it was longer than this (laughs) when you posted it. There were so many pauses. And then there were those deep pauses where neither of us said anything for this long time. And it was just like, we both were like, that makes sense. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to dwell on this. So there was times like when you put it in audacity, you know, you had the lines and then it was just like died. Like you had the heart going. It was like, <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So Kev, where can people find you to keep up with you? Um, my home away from home is Twitter. I am laugh for a purpose at Twitter. I, I encourage you to find me there first and foremost, because I do some really cool projects here. Compliment project. Hey, you, um, check it out, man. I'm, I'm trying to change the world with Twitter, but you can also find my website and podcast at last, the number four, a purpose.com. Um, I have my podcast is on every single platform. You can find it except YouTube, which my child's yelling me about. Um, but yeah, any, just put the words laugh, the number four, a purpose, and I'm going to pitch it real quick. Laugh for a purpose. Shop.com is where you can buy my merchandise. Like this hat. This is, I'm so here. That's awesome. I was wanting to do that. So yeah, anywhere that's laugh for a purpose, uh, Instagram, the TikToks the snapchat and twitter everything but the book of faces because i don't like them (laughs) (laughs) hi i didn't know if somebody grabbed two years we were talking so long or this is a different one (laughs) um hi daddy can i um so i would really love it if people would check that out would subscribe laugh for a purpose the podcast Leave a great review and retweet because retweets cannot be stated enough that how much they help get eyes on the eyes may not have been on before. Love the likes. Absolutely love it. Retweets just they do help more. And it's also only one button push. This has been Untapped Keg, our podcast about mental health and sobriety, where we spotlight stories that provide hope and love. Hit the subscribe button. Yes, I've been uh, I've been one of your hosts, RJ Zimmerman. We'd love it if you would check out Untapped Keg. 
all podcast platforms, YouTube, hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. Tell us why communication is has been so life-changing for you when you've developed those good skills, when you took that first step and you jumped into the deep end. I, w- I would just absolutely love it if we heard a lot of those because... Um, the amount that that's helped me and that I've kind of underplayed just how much that's helped me um, is a lot because I think we do tend to underplay how much our communication with other people really does help because it adds context. That's what we need sometimes is context. So find Big Kev, laugh for a purpose. Find us on all social media platforms as Untapped Keg. Um, yeah let's all have a good week all right let's try to be better tomorrow than we were today because yes. if we don't make it we tried and that's all we can do in this life i love you have a good week everybody Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.